This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellaris is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Ty Seifu. And the first thing we want to talk about this week, well, there has been, you know, there was a Casper Kapanen trade. There's still playoffs going on. But the biggest story in hockey and, and the sports world is, well, specifically in the NHL, I guess, is that a few days ago when the NBA players went on strike because of all the social injustice, police brutality, anti-black racism going on that has come to light recently, uh, they decided not to play in their games. And the NHL, as usual, was lagging behind in that. And Alan Vigneault made a comment about how he doesn't know anything about what's going on in the outside world. Anders Lee made some a comment that came across as insensitive, like we just got off the ice. And that was just all, it was all compounded on top of each other with the fact that they did nothing except a four second moment of reflection. And it really seemed like they weren't taking the problem seriously. They did end up, of course, taking those two days off. But in my opinion, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to celebrate them for that or congratulate them because based on what we saw before they even came to the bubble with all these these statements from teams, from players, we were all asking, is it performative? And their first big test, it really seemed like it was and they didn't really learn very much. Yeah, I mean, yet again, on these kind of issues, uh, the NHL is late to the party. And yeah, you you can't really give them kudos. Like they did do the two days uh, where they were, you know, they they postponed the games, but you know that was clearly purely reactionary because of the public outcry that came. The public outcry that came when they didn't, uh, you know, postpone any games the first night. When all the other leagues, you look at, you know, there were there's obviously the NBA, MLB games were postponed. MLB games were postponed. Uh, the MLS did the same thing, and meanwhile, everybody's looking at the NHL and nothing you, you you talk about a moment a moment of reflection and really that's that's you know that's the essentially you know performative bullshit that's what it was and you know we're talking about how we're trying to you know draw in new fans to go to the game of hockey and in the moment when you know you're under the spotlight and everybody's looking to you you, you fucking fall short and as you said earlier you know like all those statements that were made a couple months ago, they're all encouraging. And we're like, okay, we're looking at some real progress. But even back then, we we're like, show us the action, right? And really, this was the first test, right? And, you know, uh, it, like what, what, what triggered the, like, the, the, the strikes in the NBA in the first place was, you know, a horrific murder of Jacob Blake by the police. It happened again. And it seemed really obvious for the NHL. This was... You know, it wasn't some obscure incident. This was top headline. It was shocking stuff, right? It was outrageous. It was disgusting. And for the NHL to see this, to see even other leagues take the first step, the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, they took the initiative of deciding to strike. And the NHL looked at that and they said, you know what? It's okay. We'll just throw in a moment of reflection for one of our games. Not even all of them, just one of our games. Uh, and... We'll call it. We'll and and that that'll be that. Uh, it's just, man, it, it's so disappointing to see. Uh, yeah, after, you know, after all those those statements earlier, they can't follow through with the action when you know when the time when the time comes. Just want to correct a little thing you said. Uh, Jacob Blake, he he wasn't murdered. He he was shot seven times. Oh, and he's right. Paralyzed from the 
waist down. But but uh, your point does still stand because pretty clear the intent was to to murder. And this comes on the same day that Logan Couture made a a, a series of tweets that were. Well, well, concerning, I guess, is a word you could use. Not They also contradicted each other. The first week, I'm, I was looking for it. It, it looks like it's been taken down, deleted, because I don't see it. But from what I remember, it said something about how when he said, like, oh, I was in Toronto and I was talking about the Republican Party in the U.S. and mentioned Donald Trump by name. And that led some, I don't know, bystander to sucker punch him in the face. And so then this leads to a series of people replying and Couture replying back saying things like, I never said I like Donald Trump and I don't. And then he says like, oh, I'm not even registered to vote in the US, but if I was, I would vote for the Republican Party. So like a whole bunch of nonsense. And like that was just a big kind of shadow overcast on the whole day. Like, oh, here's one one glorious shining example of a hockey player who's kind of just showing their their ass. Yeah. I mean, geez, like he was, uh, became kind of like, I saw a Twitter tweet, like you don't want to become the protagonist on Twitter. Right. And that's, that's kind of what he became. And it was just, I mean, oh God, it was just, it was so, I don't even really know what to say about the, this whole sequence because, you know, it's just, I don't, it's, it's, it's a terrible fucking look. I mean, I don't want to like, you know, we're talking about, yeah. Didn't he make a statement? Uh, like two months ago about how he wanted to, you know, how he just wanted to like, you know, he supported Black Lives Matter and whatnot. And then yeah, statement that was, it was accompanied by, I hope this doesn't offend anyone. Oh, right. Of course. And like, and then he comes out with this and it's just, yeah, this is the kind of stuff you look at it and you know, you, you look back like a, a few months ago or a while, a little while ago, a few weeks ago when like Eric Trump tweeted his support for the NHL for standing during the anthem and when you see stuff like this come up from, you know, Logan Couture, who I would say is a pretty high high profile, you know, member uh, of the NHL, it's just, it's it's freaking terrible. It's terrible. And, you know, another person I want to really, you know, shine the spotlight on and not in a good way is you mentioned him earlier. I mean, Alain Vigneault, uh, he comes out and he's like, you know, uh, I didn't really know what was going on. I don't really follow the stuff. Uh, I just spent my day following hockey and i guess you can call me a hockey nerd and all that and and then and and basically like kind of proudly spewing his ignorance about uh you know this the social justice movement that's going on under his nose you know frankly that's unacceptable you know it's everybody is responsible for this kind of issue uh it's not just it's not just black people uh who should be advocating for this issue really i mean it's it's the people like Alain Vigneault in that kind of situation as in, you know, he's a rich white guy who should be using uh, his platform to advocate for this kind of change. And I mean, he, first of all, he's not immune from the issue. Uh, we're all affected by this kind of thing. Uh, I mean, hell, he benefits from, you know, this kind of society where like a lot of our economies are based on, you know, just one example, uh, cheap prison labor where black people are mass incarcerated. And so it's reckless to make that kind of statement. And then if you look at his apology afterwards, uh, he really kind of said nothing. And it's that kind of stuff. It's just, it's really, it's unacceptable. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the way I felt on, on the, the day where the NHL decided not to strike along with the NBA was a way that I've 
felt a few times, multiple times over the course of the past few months, I was I felt kind of embarrassed to be a hockey fan. Like I felt the same way when Eric Trump was was talking about how great the NHL was. I felt feel the same way when when they you know when they promote the Watch Your Tone podcast, and especially as of late, I was thinking like I don't know if it's more embarrassing that the NHL took the the full day before the players decided to strike, or the fact that so many replies and comments from NHL fans are like a don't understand why they need to strike or like are criticizing the fact that they're striking just and like that because that is the the market that the NHL appeals to and that's the market that it seems like they want to continue to appeal to or what was I going to say the other one or or be like you know you see these people who are like oh I'm, I'm not going to watch the NHL anymore and I think like Dylan DeMello actually replied to a few of them like all right thanks we won't miss you which is I guess encouraging to see but in the in the grand grand scheme of things uh doesn't really make a difference but Anyway, uh, and also there's this this Dale Talon situation that people were talking about for like 30 minutes and then everyone seemed to forget about. But like he was accused of, of saying a racial slur in the bubble. And he comes out with a statement like, I would never say that word. I'm not racist. I'm a good person. And it's kind of the thing like, oh, uh, my I'm not racist shirt is making me answer a lot of questions that my shirt already answers, that kind of thing. So like a lot of, a lot of red flags that were that were kind of raised in that statement. I don't have it in front of me, but a lot of people were pointing out problems with it, and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Dale Talon thing, apparently, allegedly, we're not completely sure of the details yet. They're investigating it. But these comments were made, you know, w- with the background, the backdrop of Matt Dumba making the, making his powerful statement on the ice. Uh, apparently, he made a sta- another statement that was something like, you know, I didn't know even know he was black until he came out and talked about it. I mean... Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, it's just, what the hell? Uh, it was like the I, mean, the, I don't see color excuse. Yeah, right. And it's just, first of all, completely unacceptable. Uh, you know, it's just, no, that's not a valid excuse these days. Uh, because we have to recognize the fact that, you know, black people, especially in hockey, first of all, because we have talked about, you know, the problem of racism in hockey, they do face disadvantages. And... You have to acknowledge that stuff and to say, you know, I don't see color. Frankly, no, not acceptable at all, not acceptable at all from Dale Talon. I mean, and yeah, that's a problem. We see so many of these personalities looking around. Uh, it's it's just you see disappointment across the board. Dale Talon, Logan Couture, Alain Vigneault. There are just so many people in this situation who are falling short uh, and who are really demonstrating that those statements that we made two months ago uh, completely, completely performative and yeah as i said earlier this completely failed the test uh, at the very first opportunity and when you talk about this like in terms of hockey uh obviously we talk about how our society is it, it sets up you know it sets up uh minorities especially black people for failure like you see all the the disparity in yearly income and in poverty uh, people in poverty are disproportionately black and you combine that when you talk about hockey with hockey being so expensive to play in comparison to other sports and that is uh, a, a part of the reason why this why this like 90 percent i'm not sure the exact number but the vast majority of the players in the nhl are white and there was a very interesting article i don't remember where it's from or who wrote it which I'm, i feel really bad about now but look into it because it talked about how you know in like hockey you'll often think about like a center 
as like the, the most important position player, maybe besides goalie, but like a, a center, you know, does everything and is, is like responsible, reliable two way. And they showed statistics. of If you think about like the black players in the NHL, most of them are either like defensemen or wingers. And it's, it's, you don't really think about that kind of thing, but they're disproportionately like, so you think about like that, this, this like, I don't know, microaggression, maybe the right word, but like coaches from a young age will, you know, maybe put a black player on the wing or on defense, just like as a default that they might not even realize they're doing it. And there's this other phenomenon they mentioned in the article, I guess, how final draft rankings from scouts, black players will tend to drop in the rankings from the mid-season rankings to the end-of-year rankings. So a lot of this very subtle discrimination going on that doesn't have anything to do with the, the economic disparity that's just tied into the game of hockey itself, that even if it weren't expensive to play, we can assume would still be there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you pull those two specific examples. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of other racial bias in the sport of hockey just because you know, it's we have we said before there is a racism problem uh, in in hockey in, in in the NHL even and yeah you talk about those those things uh, you're putting a, a black a black player either on the wings or on the defense right in the moment if you're talking about one incident it might not seem like discrimination right it might just seem like oh he's trying to find the best fit but yeah when you pull out an article like that it's well researched and you look at the vast majority right you're looking at the big picture. Yeah, then you really get a sense of what's going on, going on, and when you put it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you talked about the goaltending position; not many black goaltenders there either. Uh, I mean, just off of the top of my head, I can name uh, how many black goalies are in the NHL right now that are starting. I, well, I can name Malcolm Subban. Uh, yeah, my, I was, Fair, that was in the eighties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just Malcolm Subban that came to my head, and he's a backup, and I couldn't think of anybody else. Uh, and so, yeah, looking at key, key positions, goaltender, center. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's totally racial bias. It might not be as, you know, uh, glaringly obvious as Logan Gertrude putting, you know, and supporting Trump on Twitter. But still, it has an effect nonetheless. And yeah, it's important to acknowledge these kind of things. And it's important to have these conversations. And, you know, people wondering how effective uh, a strike can be. Uh, well, it is effective because, first of all, we're all talking about it. And it was an event, uh, the Bucks striking and, you know, other NBA teams following suit, the MLB and the MLS. It was a real, it was the top headline for that night, uh, along with the Jacob Blake shooting. I mean, you know, it was, it transcended sports at that point. Uh, basically, everybody was talking about it and how, you know, what these people are striking for. And in that sense, Striking was super effective. And so, yeah, it's time for... And, and to see the NHL not do it uh, on that one night, you know, it just goes to show they're not willing to take the action. And not to mention, I mean, it's not like these players who did strike in the NBA, they're they're risking their income, right? There's some real sacrifice going on here. And it's apparent that the NHL players didn't want to do that. Yeah, a lot of people uh, pointed out that sports really sets the tone for for the way our, our society works. And you just think back a few months to when the NBA and then the NHL the next day, surprise, surprise, canceled their or postponed, I guess, their season because of COVID-19. And that was really the exact moment when everyone here started to take it seriously. Because if you think like, oh, it was kind of just like a piece of the news, 
in on like March 9th, 10th. And then I think it was the night of March 11th, the NBA said, yeah, this is too dangerous. We're stopping the season. And that's when everyone's like, uh, like within two days, everything in the entire, well, everything in all Canada, US, I'm not too caught up on the rest of North America, but we're just totally shut down because of that. And like this kind of, in this situation where now the players are striking, because this has been such a, a crazy eventful year, it just seems kind of ho-hum, run-of-the-mill. But if you think, like, if this had happened in a year where the seasons hadn't already been stopped for COVID-19, this is no doubt number one story of the year, because, like, it would be totally unheard of for these professional athletes to strike in the middle of a season. Yeah, absolutely. And not just strike. Uh, if, you, if you follow the news in the NBA, they nearly canceled the season because of this um and you know apparently took you know uh there was some serious debate among the players about canceling the season and there were a couple teams in particular the lakers and the clippers who thought you know we just don't want to play anymore uh and yeah you show you see the power in their convictions when you see that kind of news and when we have those kind of conversations right and so you know for for i saw different commentaries when it came to the nhl people debating the night of you know whether the nhl should cancel and people are saying you know this is uh it's it's not really effective well it is look what the nba did look at the effect it had and if the nhl players had striked on that first night and they did take that initiative i mean we we would be talking we would be talking about this in a much different light and you know it wouldn't i I don't think it would be nearly as controversial uh, just within the hockey world if they had shown that unity uh, with the other leagues and strike. But instead, you don't, and you leave that crack open for people, you know, for example, in the Instagram comments to say the kind of disgusting stuff, racist, disgusting stuff, and you're you're kind of giving them, you know, a reason to say, look, look what the NHL did. Uh, the other leagues were not striking. Uh, the yellow leagues were striking, and the NHL decided not to. Uh, and yeah, that's that's one of the you know that's one of the worst consequences out of this whole thing. Uh, it's just the NHL, which yeah, I keep saying it, man. It's just made the wrong decision there, and it's it's a fucking terrible look. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if you're in the same boat with with me on this, you probably are. But last night when the the games came back, or I guess yesterday afternoon, it's really hard for for me to like get interested in them. Absolutely. Yeah, I can barely pay attention. I was doing other stuff during it anyway, which is, which sucks because you know I want to be able to enjoy hockey, enjoy the NHL, but if I if I do, you know, and like I kind of feel like it would be ignoring anything else. A lot of cognitive dissonance going on. But anyway, I guess, I guess we are, we are kind of here to discuss the series, even though it's it's you know not of utmost importance. But first, I do you want to make the hard pivot now to the trade. Yeah, sure. Okay. We, we got to right. right. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes there's no way, no way around. People talk about like, oh, you know, people try to awkwardly pivot away on like, on like, news stories from like the tragic story to the happy story, and they'll just like, just say it, just say it, like, just interrupt it and, and say it, move on. We haven't quite mastered that yet, as I'm sure you can tell. But this was a few days ago, the Casper Kapanen trade, and man, everyone pretty much unanimously had the same reaction and usually there are mixed reactions among fans of whichever two fan bases are involved basically all Leafs fans agreed it was a big win all Penguins fans agreed that it was a big loss and I actually I was I was actually out of the house picking up my my book for this semester while it while it went on so 
by the time I got back home, I had the full details. Apparently there was like a, a slow trickle over the course of like 45 minutes, but I got it all at once. And I'm sure you know the details by now. Everybody listening, Toronto Trades, Kasperi Kapanen, Pontus Aberg, and Jesper Lindgren to Pittsburgh for Evan Rodriguez, David Warsawski, Philip Hollander, and the 15th overall pick in the draft. We both have the, the, the same opinion on this deal. And I pointed out, like, just to get an idea of how lopsided this is, if you take out the 15th overall pick, which I think we both agree is the most valuable piece of that trade, if you just remove it, take it out, uh, I still think this is this is more or less a fair deal. And then when you throw that in uh, on Pittsburgh's side heading to Toronto, then then you really get a sense of how how wildly in favor of Toronto this deal really is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Kyle Dubas pulled this off. Uh, I saw this trade, I looked at the details, and I was angry because, you know, the Leafs managed to fleece the Penguins, and I don't know what Jim Rutherford is on, but this trade makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, look, you're giving up the 15th pick to a team that was desperate in every freaking way. Uh, you know, they needed a first they needed a first round pick, or they really wanted one at least, and they but they really needed to get rid of Kasperi Kapanen or someone similar uh, in order to free up cap space. And, you know, he, he he was in a position of leverage, I thought, uh, JR, and he I don't know what, but he just it seemed like he caved to Kyle Dubas because just the value, the asset value that's between the two, it's completely lopsided. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen, you know, an, a solid middle six forward, I would say. He never really, you know, carved out a role in Toronto. And uh, in exchange for, you know, an excellent first round pick, one that Pittsburgh could, could probably use. Uh, and Philip Hollander, who, who himself, you know, very good prospect. And so, yeah, he talked about how if you didn't have the 15th pick, uh, it would be a pretty even trade. I would say so, too, because, you know. The Leafs really, really needed to get rid of Kapanen here, and I mean, it feels like the the Penguins handed them the fifteenth pick on a silver platter. Yeah. Um. So Jim Rutherford, actually, I'm sure you probably saw this this interesting stat. But while he's been with the Penguins since 2014, they've had two first round picks. One of them was Samuel Poulin last year, and the other one was Kasperi Kapanen in 2014, who of course went to Toronto in the Phil Kessel trade about a year after that. And I was looking at it, actually, I was comparing the Phil Kessel deal that sent him to Pittsburgh and the Kapanen trade that just happened a few days ago sent him to Pittsburgh side by side. Uh, you can make the argument that Toronto got more for Kapanen than they got for Kessel, which is just absolutely wild because Kapanen was just a part of the return for Phil Kessel. You look at the other pieces Pittsburgh got, Pontus Aberg, uh, he's a, a very good AHL player. Probably won't be well. Maybe he could probably. I could see him maybe succeeding in the lineup with Pittsburgh, but he won't be anything too special. Jesper Lindgren. I pointed this out to you. Uh, distinct possibility that Jim Rutherford thought they were getting Timothy Liljegren because I mean that would have kind of evened the trade out a little bit more. But Jesper Lindgren, he, he is unlikely to grow into to anything special. He's 23 and he just scored nine points in 31 games as a, a, a defenseman in the AHL with the Marlies last season. So Kapanen, of course, is the big piece. And, and Jim Rutherford also said he's expecting Kapanen to make a contribution to their top six, to improve their top six. And you look at the Penguins, the top six, like, obviously, okay, addressing a strength isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when you're already tight to the cap like Pittsburgh is, and you say, hmm, let's improve our top six, 
by trading away, you know, two very valuable assets in our first round pick and this this high end prospect, Philip Hollander. Um, what should we what should we address? How about how about a right winger who's never really proven he can he can be better than like a third liner every time he's played in the top six in Toronto hasn't really worked out great so I don't, I don't really know what I we've said this like I don't know what Tim Rutherford's thinking I don't know like like why wouldn't you why wouldn't you use that cap space and have captains taking up with that 3.2 million dollars to I don't know address the defense or you know maybe save it to sign whichever one of Tristan Jerry or Matt Murray because you're gonna have to sign one of those or I don't know free agency maybe obviously like you don't want to spend too much in free agency but like there are so many better options than trading these high value pieces for a third line winger who's making like you could argue slightly above market value it's man like you could see, understand like oh i kind of kind of going on and on ranting here a little bit but like jim rutherford like you can make the the argument he's like oh well future doesn't matter we got to win with crosby and, and malkin but you know at some point like like the future does matter and philip hollander it would would have been part of that future. He probably would have made the NHL within like two years. Same thing with with his first round pick. You could it's very easy to strike gold on a fifteenth overall pick, especially in this year's draft. And like you you do have I don't care how much in win now mode you are. You have to you have to invest in your prospects. Yeah, absolutely. And even from a win now mode, you're telling me you can get a better player than Kasperi Kapanen, a third liner for your first round pick, which happened to be you know fifteenth overall. And I am a prospect for Philip Hollander. It's not just trading for guys. You couldn't find anybody else who was willing to trade a better player for those two uh, high-value assets. I mean, it makes no... Why? It seems like this guy is enamored with Kasperi Perry Kapanen. Was it because he, he drafted him back then in 2014? Maybe. But it just... I don't know. It really seems like he's overvaluing Kasperi Kapanen here because... Yeah, you talk about the trade. Uh, you know, you could have taken out the 15th overall pick. You you know, you didn't have to give that up. But, like, why are you trading for Kasperi Kapanen in the first place? I mean, I know Toronto wanted to get rid of him, but you're paying a premium for the guy now. Why not pay for a premium for a better player? Uh, and so, yeah, in that sense, it doesn't really make sense either. And and Pittsburgh really setting themselves up poorly when Crosby and Malkin eventually, when they leave some, either whether through retirement or whatever, they find a different team. Uh, their cupboards are completely buried. Talk about not having many first-round picks at all. And yeah, you're, you're trading away a good prospect and your first-round first pick. Uh, you really are setting yourself up for failure in the future. And yeah, they won those cups. Uh, but yeah, looking forward, I mean, I don't see them repeating. Is this an overreaction to the Montreal series? Potentially, yeah, I'm not too so. sure. Um, that would be really funny. Yeah, and so, yeah, it just really makes no sense on any side. Uh, I know Pittsburgh has another trade they're going to probably make eventually, uh, figuring out how to trade Matt Murray. Uh, but even if you're looking to, like, you know, move some pieces before to really get ready for that trade, uh, it really doesn't excuse this kind of poor asset management where you come out as the huge loser in terms of getting value. Yeah, like, you look at this trade from other teams' perspectives, like Pittsburgh, why would you give that for Kapanen? We would have given you a better player for for that package. Like I'm looking at this from Montreal's perspective. Like, would you trade Max Domi and like the equivalent of Auberg and Jesper Lindgren for that package? I would have. Philip Dano, probably. So like, like other teams should probably be frustrated too that they didn't get in on that action. Or I guess more accurately, this should just be a reflection of Pittsburgh's incompetence that they didn't look around to see if anyone had a better player to offer than. Than Casper Kapanen. 
Yeah, absolutely. If I'm another GM, if I'm Mark Bergevin right now, you know who's number one on my speed dial? Uh, it's Jim Rutherford because you know a number of questionable moves. We talked about we talked about these questionable moves before. Uh, you know, namely Jack Johnson. Uh, but uh, yeah, this guy, I don't know, is he is he falling apart over there in Pittsburgh? Uh, it seems like he's kind of lost control on making good moves. Uh, and so yeah, really no idea what's happening. There, no idea what what he's thinking. And with the Leafs. Uh, I mean, frankly, it's, I mean, this is a trade I don't think they really wanted to make because uh, you look at their roster without Kasperi Kapanen. I mean, they do get worse without Kasperi Kapanen, right? They do win the trade in terms of asset value, but in terms of making the team better, uh, the 15th overall pick in Philip Hollander won't help you win a cup next year. Uh, and so, yeah, my, what I'm going, what I'm thinking going to the future is, you know, the, the what, another key asset that the Leafs got here that isn't one of the part of the seven pieces uh, is the cap space that they got from, you know, shedding Kasperi Kaepernick. I think it was like $3 million. And so what I want to see is, first of all, do they end up picking with a 15th overall pick? Uh, and what do they do with that cap space? Because this is a team that, you know, is apparent they want to win now. Uh, this isn't exactly a win now move. It's a move that, you know, they absolutely should have made, but it's not a win now move. And I want to see, you know, where do they go from here in terms of in the offseason? How do they really advance that win mode, uh, win now agenda? Yeah, I think with this this newfound cap space for the Maple Leafs, the the new three point two million dollars, uh, you have to. Well, also, I think we should say that Kyle Dubas did kind of explicitly say we're not done. We're gonna make other moves, and apparently, you know, the other players whose names are being shopped are reportedly Andreas Janssen, not a big surprise. Alexander Kerfoot surprises me a little bit because I thought he was a pretty good third line center. Pierre Engvall who seems to have established himself as a, a decent fourth-line center, I guess, and Frederick Anderson, who's heading into the last year of his contract before he becomes a UFA. So you're talking about, like, uh, who might be interested in acquiring Matt Murray, maybe put Toronto's name on that list if they if they want to move on from Freddie at this point, who, as we've mentioned, has a pretty shaky record in elimination games, uh, more than just pretty shaky. He's 0-8 in his career. Or maybe the Leafs could be interested in signing one of Robin Leonard or Jakob Markstrom, even though they would either one would be very expensive. Not to mention Tyson Berry, Cody CC, both presumably gone, both pending U- both well, they'll be UFAs. Travis Dermott is an RFA, so he'll need a new contract. Uh, that defense now, looking at it for Toronto, Morgan Riley making five million, Jake Muzzin making five point six two five, Rasmus Sandin on his ELC, uh, then. You got Justin Homming, two million. That's four guys. Miko Lettinen, who they signed out of out of Europe. You might remember KHL Defenseman of the Year. He'll be pretty cheap because he's he's on his ELC. That's five players right now. And you've got you got Kelly Rosen, Martin Marinson, uh, Timothy Liljegren. You probably don't want uh, any of those three players in your starting six on opening night. So they will have to address that defense. Maybe making a run at someone like Chris Tanev, Dylan Demello. There are a couple options for the Leafs to look at in free agency. So that's probably. That's probably the the route they'll be going in. Yeah, uh, and so big off season for the Leafs, and I'll be relishing any moves they make that are uh, ill advised. So moving on. Uh, wait, I don't so want to move another big, Wait, yeah, oh, you want to you want to keep you have anything to add about this? Yeah, there's still a couple more things to that I wanted to mention. Um, okay. And Pittsburgh also just want to say don't have their first round pick next year either from the Jason Zucker trade. That one's going to. The Minnesota Wild, so they don't they don't have a first round pick until 2022, quite a little ways away. And Kyle Dubas did say you kind of alluded to this a little earlier. Um, if the right deal comes along to trade the 15th pick, they'll do it. And it was something like he said, 
open to keeping the pick, open to trading the pick. And using language like open to keeping the pick kind of sounds like you're very much not dead set on keeping the pick and maybe even are looking to trade it or actively shopping it. I think that definitely could potentially make sense for Toronto, especially, you know, a team who, you know, could use some cheaper options, especially on defense. And a super high draft pick like that in a great draft could provide a lot of value, especially when you take into account the fact that around that spot in the draft, the best players available will probably all be wingers. And that's not exactly Toronto's point of need at this point. So, I mean, obviously you draft best player available anyway. At least that's what we both believe for the most part. But I could definitely see when you compound both of those things, why it would totally make sense for for Dubas to trade that pick. Yeah, especially if they could get that defensive help that they really need uh, in the top four. Uh, And yeah, we could potentially see, we're talking about the 15th overall pick being a a very, you know, it's a good asset. And if he does manage to flip it for a quality defenseman that they need, cost-controlled, hopefully for them, uh, we could be seeing, you know, by the end of the offseason, he traded Kasperi Kapanen for Philip Hollander uh, and uh, a defenseman to plug a big hole in their roster. And so, yeah, it, it, the judgment is still to be made on the lease side, depending on how they, you know, do they flip anything and how do they fill those, you know, pretty glaring holes in the lineup. But, I mean, this is definitely a really good start for them. Uh, and, yeah, if I'm a Leafs fan, I'm really happy with this trade. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now on to... The next piece of news, which was a surprise as well. Of course, no one was really following the story that closely, but the Arizona Coyotes earlier in the year illegally did physical testing on some NHL draft prospects. And it was it was kind of a given that there was going to be some sort of punishment. I would have predicted like a third round pick, a fourth round pick, something in that range. But I mean, you you, you wish the NHL was as harsh with on-ice play and, you know, dirty hits and dangerous plays as they were with teams breaking these rules that really don't seem to hurt anyone, I guess you could say. Uh, First-round pick in 2021 and second-round pick this year, docked from the Coyotes, suspended picks, and for a team that was A, bad already, and B, already kind of down on draft picks. They didn't have their own first rounder this year from the Taylor Hall trade. Um, this is this is a big blow to a team where that, uh, I mean, the future's really looking bleak, and maybe even bleaker than the present. And uh, yeah, not not a good time to be a Coyotes fan, as if there, there ever really has been. Oh my God, like, holy crap. What a clown show running in the desert right now. Uh, first of all, yeah, I didn't expect them to bring the hammer like uh, the hammer down like this, the NHL, because they really came down hard. Uh, you know, you talking about you thought maybe third round pick, fourth round pick. I didn't think it was going to be a pick at all. I thought they were going to, you know, like a nice fat fine and uh, we'll move on with our day. But apparently not because, wow, first round pick next year, second round pick this year. Uh, I mean, that's that's crippling for an organization that really is just poorly run. I mean, you talk about this season, they went after Taylor Hall, and then they flubbed, and then we don't even need to talk about the past and how miserable the, this franchise is on top of its financial struggles uh, and that whole fiasco. I mean, at every turn, if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, if those even exist anymore, uh, just pure misery. And this, you're talking about, yeah, the future looks even bleaker than the present. If that was even possible, I mean, I can't like this team sucks. This team sucks right now, and it can't. It's really rebuilding if you think about it. 
Uh, I mean, they're just a bunch of overpaid dudes, uh, veterans, and really there's nothing special or there's really nothing special around uh, around them in terms of youth. And so, yeah, you talk about a team that needs its first over first round picks. Uh, Arizona, chief among them. Uh, you talk about they already traded their first round this year. And so, you know, that's gone. Uh, and that's going to be, what, top 20 or something? Because they, they lost because uh, they got eliminated in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I so think you it's know, 18th. Okay, yeah. So 18th pick. That's a decent pick. And I can't even imagine what the what the position is going to be next year. Uh, Phil Castle's not very good. Taylor Hall, who knows where he's going to go. He's, I don't think he's going to resign personally right now at this point in time, uh, especially when you look at the shit show that just happened. And yeah, even managerially. Uh, John Jenkins just left the organization and it seemed like he was right to do so. He left at the freaking right time uh, because, man, first round pick and second round pick. And so you're looking at a situation where their highest pick this year is a third round pick, uh, third round pick barring a trade. And next year, if they do end up signing Taylor Hall, uh, they have to give up a second round pick instead of a third. And then in that case, you'd be down uh, to your highest pick being a third round pick again. And for an organization that's not very good right now, I mean, that's just, that's a crippling blow. Yeah. Uh, actually, the Coyotes don't pick until the fourth round this year because they traded away their third rounder as part of the package to acquire Carl Soderberg last summer. So they don't pick till the fourth round. And as you said, next year, if, if they sign Taylor Hall, they don't pick until the third round. So no high picks whatsoever over the next two years for the Coyotes. And I mean, John Chica, as you say, kind of like, you know, broke the rules and dipped right before the punishment came. So uh, he probably he probably had a sense of what was going to go on. I think there, from what I, from what I gain, there are two options for the Coyotes, and one of them for me is cl- clearly smarter than the other one, and that's the similar to what the Senators did. They were going into a year. They knew they were bad. They also knew they didn't have their first round pick. And instead of just, you know, saying, oh, well, I guess since we don't have our first rounder, we should try to be good. They said, you know what? I know we don't have our first rounder, but the smart thing to do anyway is to trade our players for draft picks and prospects and build towards the future, even though we're not going to get a high draft pick. That was the smart thing to do. Now, what people are speculating the Coyotes might do is not that. And they might say something like, oh, well, since we don't have a first round pick next year, I guess we should just, you know, trade all our other picks and prospects too and go and sign Taylor Hall and, and try to sign like Alex Petrangelo or whatever and try to be really good. And that seems like the wrong idea. I think the smart thing to do is you trade guys like Ekman Larson if he agrees to it, which by the sounds of it, he will because, I mean, there was, there was, there was a report that like, oh, OEL's future with Arizona, kind of in question. You could definitely restock the cupboard with some high draft picks by by trading him away. That super expensive long deal. And there are some other interesting pieces where you could you could get something for them, like Michael Grabner comes to mind. Uh, Lawson Krauss, maybe. I don't know. Derek Stepan is also going into his last year. So if you want to restock the cupboard with draft picks and prospects, now's probably the time to do it. Yeah, and just the, the extent of how bad this team is. The second name you thought of, of oh, who could we sell off for a high asset, for like good assets? Yeah, is a 32-year-old Michael Grabner. Uh, just this team, if you really think, you're delusional. If you think that you could go next year, you can go and swing in, buy in everything up because you don't have a first-round pick and like make a run for a nice playoff spot. Uh, it's just, no, it doesn't work here. This roster is not good at all. Uh, the only reason 
that they did end up making the playoffs, the, the real playoffs, was because Darcy Kemper stole them a series against Nashville in which they were not the better team, I thought. And yeah, it's just, the, I, I agree with you on the front where the, like the, the, the only course of our, the only course, uh, the correct course of action from this point is to sell everything off, get those assets. And you know, we don't have, you don't have any picks this year until the fourth round. We'll fix that, you know, sell off, sell off your pieces and fix it. So you do have high draft picks so you can build toward the future. Because right now, if you were to, if you were to buy right now and like even sell off whatever few assets you have right now that are meant for the future, I mean, you're digging yourself a hole that it will take you, I think half a decade to even at least to even start digging out of that hole. And so just like, I mean, but the, the problem is I don't even know who's going to lead them out of this, right? You do, who's their general manager at this point? I have no idea. I bet it's some interim guy. And so, yeah, uh, it's just, it's not, not looking good for Arizona. Uh, and I mean, who knows? They can always pray and hope that the NHL will give them their first round pick next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the interim GM right now is Steve Sullivan. I uh, don't know how long he'll be sticking around. If he's going to stick around to, I don't know, they're going to want him to try to clean up, clean up this mess, give him a chance. I don't know. We'll see. I highly doubt we're going to see a, uh, an Ilya Kovalchuk situation where they took away their 2014 first round pick, then sort of gave it back to them. They gave them 30th overall. I don't think we're going to see something like that because that was an altered situation because Kovalchuk decided to leave and go to the KHL very surprisingly. So don't, don't think we're going to see anything like that happen this time. Um, we mentioned Philip Dano a little bit earlier on this episode and he well, he said a couple things, I suppose, and I saw them on the score. Can't find them now on the score, but I'm sure they're still there. I'm just, I don't use the score app very often. About how he wasn't pleased to be passed on the depth chart by Nick Suzuki and Yasperi Kakanyemi, and he isn't, he isn't so fond of the idea to play in a, as he put it, like a, a defense only role. And by what I think he means by that is like no power play time or limited power play time or I guess less power play time than he previously had because Suzuki and Kakanyemi surpassed him, I guess I guess you could say. And like, you know, six on five at the end of the game, Deno probably not out on the ice. And I mean, so now people are, are speculating, is Deno, is Deno going to be traded? Um, I would guess no. But I mean, if you do trade, I feel like it's either him or Domi. One of them is going to be traded. One of them's going to stick around as the third line center. I think it's a, a one of the one or the other situation going on here. The other thing is I'm I'm not sold on the fact that Suzuki and Kakanyemi now being the one two and Deno being the three is a permanent thing because we, this was just a ten game stretch. And I mean, you know, you could see a situation where over the course of a long season, maybe I don't think it'll happen with Suzuki, but maybe Kakanyemi loses a step. I think. That Dano's still gonna have, you know, extreme responsibility, and I think probably, like, during next regular season, when you look at the time on ice, I would be surprised if Dano wasn't consistently higher than Kakanyemi. Yeah, I mean, even in this series, there were some games where he had some, he had higher ice time, he had big time ice time, uh, even with Kakanyemi Suzuki. And so yeah, first of all, I mean, this is a good sign for the Habs, uh, like long term, right? If you're, you know, your young players are surpassing your veteran players. Uh, it's inevitable that you'll see some disgruntled veterans uh, because, yeah, who likes to see their job uh, get taken away or even diminished? I mean, I, I get where Dano is coming from. Or, you know, yeah, this guy was a first-liner all season. Uh, and 
on a pretty effective first line, I would say. Uh, even though, you know, uh, yeah, pretty effective first line, I would say. And uh, it, yeah, all of a sudden he sees his, his role diminished and he's on the third line. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's just life though, right? And I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much sympathy I feel for him. I, I kind of do. But at the same time, like, what happened to playing for the team now, people? Uh, no, it's just that this... I don't know. He kind of seems like, first of all, from a team's perspective for the Habs, I really do like Dano in that defensive role. I got to say, if he's your third line center, uh, you're in for, uh, your your roster's pretty uh, nice in the, on, in the depth department. But uh, yeah, Dano, yeah, I, I can absolutely see him traded at this point. Uh, and with the emergence of Kakaniemi Suzuki, I think he becomes so much more expendable. And yeah, his contract is up next season. And he's one of the players uh, where... I mean, I could absolutely see him, you know, walk. And I don't, I don't expect the Habs to re-sign him because uh, he's going to be asking for a chunk of money, I think. Right now, he's playing for, what, $3 million? And I won't be surprised if he goes and asks for 5 to 7 based on, you know, the body, his, body, his body of work over the last couple of seasons in particular. Uh, so, yeah, love that know. Interesting situation there. And, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he got traded. But if he doesn't, Frankly, I really like him in that third uh, that third line role, yep. and at that point, it becomes like he, it's it's up to him to prove that you know he can still chip in offensively and you know earn that power play time. I mean, really, it's up it's up to him to to really outplay Cockney. I mean, Suzuki, if he wants those roles roles back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. It's not you. You can't you can't expect management to be like, okay, we have a veteran here who's. You know, not playing as well as our two youngsters, but still based on, you know, veteran presence or whatever, we're going to put him on the first line. We're going to give him like some favoritism. I mean, you can't possibly expect that. I understand you're disappointed that your role's been diminished, but you were outplayed. And so if you want your role back, you want your first line role back, it's up to you to play well, to outplay uh, those teammates and to regain your spot. It's really up to Dano at this point. Uh, and yeah, the, the onus is on him. Yeah, uh, I'd be, though, super surprised if Dano's AAV on his next deal was anything higher than like 5.5, especially in the, the flat cap world. I just don't, I just don't see that happening. Uh, but I mean, if the Canadians are going to look into trading Philip Dano, you look at the return of Kapanen just got, and I know that doesn't really set the precedent, or at least it shouldn't set the precedent, generally speaking, but there are a lot of teams who'd be willing to pay a high price for this super good defensive center who played on a first line, but is probably super much better suited to like a, a second line role. Maybe like the Panthers come to mind as a team that like, you know, they're losing Eric Howler this off season, who wasn't such a great second line center to begin with, probably better as a third liner. And they would probably be willing to give up quite a lot for, for Philip Dano. I think we kind of had a similar conversation when we were talking about maybe as a potential Max Domi trade target, the same logic applies here for, Florida still a team with no center depth. And I mean, like basically any team like the Oilers kind of have that gaping hole at third line center. They could, you could probably get them interested. I'm not sure Phil Dano would be too happy there. If he wants more offensive time uh, going behind McDavid and dry settle, that doesn't necessarily lead right into that. But yeah, basically, I mean, you could like the jets, Brian Little's futures in question. They could really use a good second line center. So, I mean, lots of potential trade partners there when you're, if you're, if you want to trade Dano. Yeah, I mean, this guy's a valuable asset. What more does it? What's more? There's this. Uh, what more is there to say? Uh, he, yeah, defend. He plays great defensively, and you know, fuck, the guy spent uh, all season on the first line this season, uh, except you know at the very end in the playoffs. And so, yeah, if Mark Bergevin does decide he wants to trade, I think he can get 
uh, count on a lot of calls. I mean, even looking at Pittsburgh, uh, I mean, they, they won't make the trade anymore now that they gave up their first round pick. But I mean, I think they absolutely could have used a uh, third line upgrade and that even or third third line center upgrade. And that makes the captain and trade even more of a scratcher uh, because I mean, I think that's a pretty appropriate package if you're trading for Dano. Uh, 15th pick and Philip Hollander, <laughs> and I think he's better than I think he's much better than well, not much better, but better than Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, and so yeah, that's uh that's the deal there. And I mean, the situation to monitor Philip Dano over the course of the season, and really any outcome wouldn't really shock me. Yeah. Um, there was something that. Uh, it's kind of old news at this point, but we forgot to talk about it last week. And after the show, I realized we forgot to talk about it. And we were we were kind of frustrated. But uh, it's the Alan Walsh picture, the picture of uh, Marc Andre Fleury getting quite literally stabbed in the back. Uh, some high quality Photoshop going on there. Uh, by by a, a sword that said Debor on it. And I mean, you probably uh, you seem to to take a little bit of an inkling to this to enjoy it quite a bit. So I'll let you take the floor. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. Are you kidding me? This is like, I don't know. This seems like, I guess, kind of peak hockey in a way that is just so absurd. It's just, it's so funny. It seems like we're like, I don't know, we're beefing them on 17-year-old boys or something. Like, uh, that picture, oh my God, just a fucking work of art. I mean, yeah, as you said, who did this? Who made the picture? That's what I want to know. Is it Alan Walsh? Like, uh, you know, he's up late at night. He's like, you know what? I got a really fucking good idea uh to to like defend my client uh flurry uh let me just hop on my computer real sec and like hmm yeah you know what'll look good the sword right through and he put the blood and everything and okay or was it did he commission it did he get an artist uh to do it did he get one of his you know he's an agent so i guess he's got assistance did he do anyways i want to know who did it and you know there should be some some uh, artist credit going around he really didn't credit anybody uh and so alan walsh please uh, do tell us who did this fine piece of art. And uh, other, I mean, from it's just it's so absurd. Like I like wh- what kind of who thought how how did Alan Walsh think that this was the right move in order to defend his client? Uh, I mean, it just looks silly. He looks stupid putting up a picture like this. And I mean, it's not a good look for Flurry. I mean, I can't imagine it, or it helped the team uh, as in Vegas much. I mean, this is a guy who's not even looking for a new contract right now. He's just looking for more playing time. And I don't think this is the way you're going to get it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he's the worst goalie on the team. Like, he's the second best goalie on the team right now behind Robin Lehner. Uh, we'll talk about the series in, in a bit. But this guy, you know, he's got a couple shutouts already just in these three games against Vancouver. And he's playing well. He's one of the better goalies in the NHL. And Marc-Andre Fleury is not. He was not good this season. And that's why they acquired Laner at the trade deadline in the first place. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's so absurd. Uh, and it's such a bad idea on so many fronts, just from a, you know, uh, trying to help your client, but also just like, it looks dumb. Uh, and it's, it's just, it's, it's completely absurd. And that's why it's so funny to me. It's, it, it, it gives out the same vibes as that Mike Milbury tweet uh, with the space needle. Yeah. First of all, uh, the fact that I didn't really consider this, but the fact that Alan Walsh didn't credit an artist would lead me to believe that he did it himself. And because I think if, if he had hired someone, then it probably, so we would be able to find it like whoever did it. And I don't have a hard time at all believing that Alan Walsh did this himself. Um, second, this does shine pretty poorly on Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, puts him in a bad light. And you're always talking about not being a distraction to your teammates. And, uh, I mean... Well, this is clearly a distraction to your teammates during playoff time, no less. 
And there was there was a situation like, okay, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this was before game one. And in game one, uh, Robin Leonard shuts out the Canucks 5-0. Game two, they lose 5-2. Leonard gives up four of the goals. The fifth was an empty netter. And heading into game three, there was a little like, um, oh, this is a decision to make now. Do you stick with Leonard or do you go back to Flurry? And the way I look at this, if if the coach of Peter DeBoer was on the fence trying to decide which goalie to play, uh, that picture that was tweeted out by Alan Walsh um, edges me not toward but away from Mark andre Fleury into <laughs> playing Robin Leonard instead. Because it's like, then are you sending a message that like, oh, if, you're, if your agent tweets some, some dumb picture, then you're going to get what you want. So like if Robin Leonard is absolutely awful, gives up like eight goals then it's a different story but when it's when it's a tight decision where you can kind of see either one making sense then uh, i think about that picture and i stick with robin laner and i mean he was right because laner got another shutout yesterday a three nothing win yeah absolutely and you know the i mean alan wash uh weird decision on like taking it down too first of all he didn't immediately regret it uh, like he didn't take it down like 30 minutes later an hour later when you know already everybody was laughing at his ass but uh, you look like uh, he deleted it like the next day. Like after 24 hours, he realized, ah, oh, shit, maybe that was maybe that was a bad idea. And so, you know, <laughs> you have to wonder what's going on with Alan Walsh right now. I mean, uh, just just absolutely. Uh, yeah, just some silly and frankly stupid moves uh, in order to represent your client there. Uh, I don't think the deleting the look. Yeah, I don't think the deleting the picture was like a. Oh, I'm embarrassed, and I think we made a mistake, so let me take it down. I think it was probably the plan from the beginning to leave it up for a certain amount of time and then take it down. So like they'll talk about it on the broadcast. Everyone's gonna get their opinion in. It's gonna make the rounds, and then like some people, like specifically older people, I'm not trying to be ageist, but like we'll have this. All right, it was on the internet, and everyone saw it. Everyone knows about it, so there's no reason for it to be there anymore. So I guess I can just remove it. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what I was thinking. But like, when you delete something on Twitter, uh, the I mean, the predominant emotion is uh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have tweeted that, right? Like, who yeah. thinks? Who, who? I mean, what? Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that Alan Walsh thinks maybe thinks that you know if I delete my Twitter, uh, if I delete the Twitter picture, it's gone now. Like nobody can see it. Um, like no, it's on the internet, right? <laughs> it's not. It's not coming down anytime soon. And but by deleting it. I mean, you look kind of silly. It's another silly move, I think. I mean, like... I think it's probably what, Flurry who asked him to take it down. Now that I think of it, Flurry was probably like, he hadn't really considered all the repercussions, and then he wished he hadn't given Walsh the green light to tweet it and asked him to take it down. That That's my guess. Maybe, but like, even at that point, like, really hadn't really considered the repercussions. You're fucking publishing a picture with your coach's name on it, with your coach's name <laughs> on a sword that's going right through your fucking body. I mean... Really? You didn't think about that? Uh, I mean, it just, uh, yeah, this whole scenario, it just, it cracks me up on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish we'd brought this up last week, but but we didn't remember. Anyway, so I guess we'll get up to speed on the, the four series that are going on right now. Uh, once again, there will be no sweeps in round two. So I think it was, I think it was three years ago, maybe four. There were no sweeps throughout the whole playoffs. Looking like it might happen again. Uh, in fact, there's a pretty good chance it will happen again. Vegas is up 2-1 to one in their series. We kind of just talked about that one a little bit. Uh, the Dallas Stars still have a lead over the Avalanche. It is is 2-1. to one. It, it was looking actually in the third period of that game, uh, which I, I didn't watch actually, but looking at the box score, like Dallas actually did have a lead in the third, and Colorado came back. So 
it was pretty close for them. They could have been down three nothing pretty easily. Yeah, I mean the the story with Dallas, I think, is like there. I talked about it last week about how you know they in the first game, uh, their big guns came to play and they've come to play in all three games at this point. Uh, you know, guys like Ben Sagan, Radulov, that first line uh, has been relatively quiet up until now. Uh, but you know. They've been rolling. They've been scoring the points. Uh, and Denis Gurianov, who's really broken out this year, and especially in these playoffs, uh, he continues to score. And so, yeah, Dallas really came from that two-one. Uh, uh, you know, that's how they win, kind of defensive-oriented thing. They're still defensively, you know, s- smart, but now they're really scoring the goals, and they haven't scored uh, less than four uh, three games in. And 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 the the other big thing I, I wanted to point out was, you know, Grubauer. Injured in the first game. And so now, you know, you, you wonder what maybe that's the reason why Dallas is scoring so many goals. Maybe it's a combination. Uh, because, I mean, Colorado relying on Pavel Francouz for now and indefinitely until the playoffs. I mean, even if they do make it past Dallas, if they have to go up against Vegas with, you know, Francouz in that, uh, really a big cause for concern. And yeah, that you really hope for, for them that Grubauer ends up coming back at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the East... Uh, Flyers and Islanders kind of lived up to the building, to the billing. Sorry, gone pretty much exactly how I expected it would. The Islanders, the Islanders are up two to one, uh, but also very close to being up three to nothing because in game two, they stormed back from a three nothing deficit at first intermission to tie the game three three, send it into overtime. I thought all the momentum was on their side. I thought they were gonna win that game, but uh, Philip Meyer scored pretty quick into overtime. The Islanders won again last night. 3-1, to one, not an especially exciting game. And I stand by my prediction of Islanders in, in full confidence. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Flyers, they, I thought, you know, maybe they might turn it up, turn it up a gear after facing Montreal because this is uh, a better team than Montreal, the Islanders are. Uh, but they haven't. And they've, you know, you ask me, they haven't really changed much from how they were playing against the Habs. And frankly, that that was barely enough to get past the Habs, a team that, you know, wasn't a playoff team going into the going into March. And it it clearly won't work against the Islanders who are, you know, who can build, who can really what fend off that, you know, uh, Philly's strategy of like, you know, score quickly and then play the neutral zone trap because the Islanders are built on the neutral zone trap and playing uh, well defensively. And I mean, yeah, the Flyers can't really find a solution. Uh, I mean, what I wish for them would be to go back to how they were playing in the round robin. But it seemed that as soon as the playoffs started, as soon as they started playing Montreal, they kind of turned that part of them off and favored this kind of boring way of playing hockey. And clearly it's not paying off right now. And it's not paying off for the viewers right now because it's, frankly, this is the most boring series out of the four. And for the Islanders, I mean, they're just chugging along, right? They, They dismantled. Uh, the capital last time around with this and they're kind of playing their same style they're getting their goals from you know really up and from really everybody uh from their key contributors but also like matt martin scored a couple goals leo komarov scored last night and uh so yeah the others look like they're rolling they look like they're they're getting comfy and and they're not doing anything too too special they're just facing a team in the flyers that i don't know i seem they, they, they can't really get it figured out and optimize their game gameplay style yeah it does kind of really seem that that um the hot streak for the Flyers heading into the pause back in March and the way they played around Robin was, I mean, we kind of knew they were playing maybe a little bit over their heads, but maybe even more than we thought based on the way they performed against the Canadians and against the Islanders, just like 
not at all a team that's that's deserving of a top seed. And as, as you say, this is kind of like the NHL should have seen this coming. This was like when you look at that round robin format they decided to go with, this was pretty much the worst case scenario that one of the four seeds goes on a hot streak, ends up as the one seed, though they don't deserve it. And then you get, you know, the two best teams in the Eastern Conference playing each other in round two instead of round three, Boston and Tampa Bay, which is, I mean, you know, kind of what happens pretty often year in, year out for the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I railed on the round robin. I continue to rail on it because, yeah, not only was it a bad idea in concept, but uh, it's it's yielded some poor, uh, you know, series combinations here now in the second round. And speaking of that other uh, second round Eastern Conference series, Boston-Tampa Bay, uh, I mean, Boston took that first game, but since then, it's really turned around. Tampa's been uh, the dominant team since then. I think they won 3-1 last night uh, and 7-1 in game three. Hello. And uh, yeah, really, it looks like Tampa's really brought it together in the last three games. Yeah, not only that, but I feel like, you know, Jaroslav Falak, very, very good backup goalie. But I mean, very, very good backup goalie. And backup goalies aren't used to playing, you know, a lot over a short stretch of time. And you can kind of see that starting to catch up to him, especially in that 7-1 to game three. And he gave up a pretty bad goal also. Tampa Bay's second goal in that 3-1 to win yesterday. Uh, pretty weak. Definitely should have had that one. Kind of just, you know, went right through his glove. So I think Dan Vladar got a little bit of action in game three. He was nothing special, as I'm sure you'd probably expect. They hadn't ever played an NHL game before. So kind of baptism by fire, as they say. But uh, I expect that Tampa Bay is going to win game five. I think Halak is kind of all out of gas, which is, I mean, it's too bad. Boston, I mean, you know, it's important that we, we separate uh, talking about Tuka Rask as in like, obviously he's totally justified in leaving the bubble. Uh, even if there was there were no medical emergency or anything, any of these players would be justified to leave the bubble at any point, and they don't even need a reason. But on the, this other point of discussion, uh, if the Bruins had Tuka Rask, then it's probably a, a totally different story here. Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely miss Rask. Uh, Halak, as you said, yeah, running out of gas. And that yeah, that's that second goal last, uh, in game four, uh, really glaring. I mean, otherwise, I thought he was all right. Uh, in that game, but I mean, he completely whiffed at it, and uh, I mean, yeah, they they miss Rask. What more is there to say? Meanwhile, Tampa Bay, you know, they're clicking. Vasilevsky's playing really well, and yeah, one point I wanted to point out was from last night. Uh, did you see this? Uh, the the whole Bruce Cassidy comments thing uh, relating to the the the, 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 the two Nick different Rich. hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see one of the hits. I saw, I only saw the Nick Ritchie on Yanni Gord hit that I'm pretty sure he got he got a five minutes for. And he probably, if I were in charge, would be suspended for, I don't know, five games, maybe more. Yeah, complete bullshit. So I want to I focus on Cassidy's comments because what he essentially did was, you know, he called him a smart player. He's basically implying that Yanni Gord was, you know, faking it and he, he took a dive. Um, and, you know, we've seen this before, uh, notably with Alain Vigneault, where, like, they're minimizing uh, the, they're really downplaying the severity of, these really dirty plays. And frankly, I don't fucking stand for it. It's not good for the sport. I mean, we're, we're talking about a league where, you know, the, the CTE research uh, and, you know, the effect on the brain, all these traumatic incidents that happen uh, over the course of a player's career. I mean, first of all, the NHL is in denial of it uh, for the, you know, for the most part. And, you know, it's, it's a real point of concern. We've talked about it in the past before and how, you know, head injuries and that kind of thing it's time for the NHL to take it more seriously. And when you see comments like these from the coach, 
uh, oh, he was faking, he was diving. I, uh, I mean, it really, it's it feels really inappropriate to say that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, the hit was really dirty. Uh, I don't care what you think if he was diving or not, but fuck. Like, first of all, the puck was way gone. Uh, and he was at a distance from the boards, at which it becomes dangerous because then the head becomes the first point of contact uh, just based on the distance. And also, it was purely predatory. It happened after the, the paquette hit on Kuhlman, which I thought, yeah, it was a boarding call. And I thought it was a penalty. It wasn't called a penalty, the paquette hit. Uh, but I thought it was, you know, yeah, sure, it was a penalty. But who was the guy who then took a roughing penalty by, you know, beating up Cedric Paquette right after the hit, it was Nick Ritchie. And so this guy was clearly out for some blood. And I would say absolutely intent to injure because, yeah, he took two steps and ran into the guy from behind. uh, And the guy went headfirst into the boards. And so, yeah, Bruce Cassidy, you want to complain about the Cedric Paquette hit. You want to say that was dirty. You, You want to say that should have been a penalty. Sure, go ahead. I agree with you. But to say, you know, Yanni Gord is faking and he's a diver, uh, I mean, it takes it over the line and to a point where I really think it's inappropriate. Yeah, we, oh, it's kind of run of the mill at this point for coaches in these situations to be defending their players, whether they're on the the receiving or the you know injuring end of the end of the spectrum. We saw with Paul Maurice earlier in these playoffs when he made a, a claim that that Matthew Kachuk tried to end Mark Shafi's career or something, and obviously no evidence at all to support that. And this kind of felt like after that, this the playoffs of coaches testing how, how much they can get away with in terms of standing up for their players, quote-unquote standing up for them. We saw with Alan Vigneault minimizing Brendan Gallagher's broken jaw. Now we see it with Bruce Cassidy saying Yanni Gord was like he was clever to fake an injury. And, I mean, at some point, if you're standing up for... I say standing up. It's in quotation marks. For these players all the time, then it starts to lose meaning, and the meaning is now totally lost. Like if just one, like one instance, like I don't know, Bruce Cassidy says something like, "Uh, yeah, we we talked to to Richie about it, and it's a dirty hit, and we we don't like when our players make dirty hits." Like who's mad at that? That's a hundred percent an appropriate thing to say. Like when I played, you know, Adam Pee Wee hockey back way back in the day, and like I don't know, a player had a a dirty hit, which was like extremely rare because even clean hits weren't allowed. Um, I remember one instance of one of the opposing players had like, I don't know, some some dirty hit or whatever it was. And the coach benched him for the rest of the period, and which was like, you know, unheard of to do it at that point. So I'm not trying to, you know, equate Adam Hockey to the NHL, but like I want coaches to be holding their players accountable for for these kind of dirty hits because like i mean of course you wouldn't you also be upset that they took a penalty like even if that's the bare minimum you should be like even if you're not at all concerned about the fact that the opposing player might deal with with long-term brain damage which you should be at least be worried that i don't know the player shouldn't have done that for the good of the team so just very very frustrating one of many very frustrating things yeah, I mean that just that hit is completely indefensible. There's there's really nothing more to say. It's indefensible. Every single factor, it was predatory, intent to injure, everything is there. And you know, for Bruce Cassidy to go up there and say, you know, uh, uh well, you know, uh, he was he was he was diving, and you know, very clever of Yanni Gord. I mean, it's just yeah, I keep saying completely inappropriate. And you know, you wanna you wanna go and advocate for for more penalties. Sure, I'm I'm all for it. But you wanna minimize the damage of a guy who took a headshot to the boards. 
no, I'm not here for that. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a those are the four series going on now. A lot less action to cover than a few weeks ago when we were in that play-in slash round robin round, six games per day or so. So, um, I, for the first time in in many weeks, have a trivia for you. Are you ready for it? Yes. All right. All right. Hit me with the theme. Let's go. Okay. So I I said last week, um, I gave you a little bit of a hint. I said this trivia was to do with the upcoming Montreal Canadiens offseason. And what are the Canadiens going to do this offseason? They are going to draft. And where are they going to draft with their first round pick? 16th overall. The theme of this trivia is recent 16th overall picks. So. All right. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you the year of the draft pick, somewhere from 2010 to 2019. Not, I'm not, not going in order. Uh, and I'm going to give you one hint. And you're going to guess which player it is. For each each player, uh, after I give you the year and the hint, you're going to have two guesses. You have one guess. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Then I'll give you uh, another guess. So it's kind of like a two-strike system. So that that's how it's going to work. Some of these hints are not quite as generous as others. The hints that with more information tend to be players that I've adjudged to be lesser known or harder to guess. So if, if I give you a lot of information, then it's probably because it's a harder player to guess. If I don't give you as much information, then it's probably because it's a player that you're familiar with. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay, okay you ready? Wait, so wait, so can, can you re-explain the strike system again? So basically I get... What two guesses at so, it? So let's say, yeah, basically. So let's say, for example, I tell you, I don't know, two thousand three. There won't be two thousand three. Let's say I say two thousand and three, and this player, I don't know, uh, won the Rocket Richard Trophy in two thousand nine or something. And then you get, you say, like, I don't know, uh, Jim Smith. And if you're right, then it's great, and you get the point. And if you're wrong, then I say wrong, and you guess again, and that's how it'll work. You have two guesses. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, so I'm thinking threshold. I think this quiz might be a little tougher than normal, so I'm thinking we go maybe six on ten for this one. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready to start? Yep. Okay. 2010. This 16th overall pick was a key forward on the 2019 Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Ooh. Okay. 2010. Uh, oh, can can you get a little closer to your mic? Oh yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, twenty ten. Uh, key player on the Blues. Key forward. So first of all, key forward. All right. Oh, now we're really rolling. Um, hmm. So how old would he be? Because twenty ten, he was eighteen. So he just he's probably twenty eight. And so who's a key forward? Uh, I mean, let me think. We have like. I don't know. Riley comes to mind. Uh, he's probably around twenty-eight. Uh, who else? Who else is like a key forward? Jaden Schwartz, nah. Tarasenko, maybe. Um, yeah, key forwards on that team. Pat Maroon. <laughs> um, so yeah, Ryan O'Reilly, Vlad Tarasenko. Those are two names that come to mind. I feel like was O'Reilly a first-round pick. Mm, um, I don't know. Ready I for guesses? Like was, oh boy. Okay. All right. Oh wait, I have two guesses. All right. So I'll just go yeah, with you have those two guesses. Two. So I'll start with. Okay, I'll start with Ryan O'Reilly. Incorrect. 
All right. So is it Vladimir Tarasenko? Yes, it is Vladimir Tarasenko. Nice. Congratulations. You are one for one. That was the 2010 16th overall pick. All right. Next up, 2017. This Calgary Flames 16th overall pick was the captain of the Finnish World Junior Team that finished in 6th place in 2018. Who? <laughs> what is this? Oh, my God. All right. If that's... Okay. That's the hint. I told I you like the I'm team that drafted him, Calgary Flames, and I told you he was the captain yeah, of the Finnish World Junior Team from 2018. Oh, my God. Calgary Finns. Um, uh, what? What? I don't remember this. Okay. I don't remember this at all. Um, I don't think I do. Um, wait, 2017? Yeah, he drafted so 2017. Was... Okay, this was the history draft. Um, yeah, I'm just... I have no fucking idea. So I'm just gonna, like... This was the Nick Suzuki draft, wasn't it? Uh, that's fine. Yep, yeah, it um, was. But it wasn't It wasn't Nick Suzuki, because he's not Calgary... Uh, so yeah, I'm or just, finished. I'm not he's also not try. finished. I'm, yeah, he's also not finished either. So I'm not even gonna try with this. Uh, All yeah, right, just hit me with the answer because I nothing comes to mind. Okay, the answer is Yuso Valamaki. Okay, that's a name I've heard of before. Yeah, uh, and that's about it. Did he? Has he played before? Uh, for, has he made it up with the Flames? He's played a couple NHL games, but I think he was injured for most of this season, so he didn't play. Okay. All right. All right. You so Mr. 16th pick. All right. Here we you go. You so Valimaki. Next. All right. 2013. This Buffalo Sabres 16th overall pick was the only defenseman involved in the first Ryan O'Reilly trade. <laughs> okay. All right. So Buffalo Sabres. So 2013. So this is old. So they're around 26. And the first Ryan O'Reilly trade um, took him from... What? Colorado to Buffalo, right? Colorado to Buffalo. And so this guy, probably on Colorado or Buffalo. Um, did, what, what was the hint? Could you repeat the hint again? The hint. This Buffalo Sabres 16th overall pick was the only defenseman involved in the first Ryan O'Reilly trade. Okay. So that makes me think he's a Colorado defenseman because why would you mention the trade? You know, if he's still on... Oh, yeah, no, he's straight from Buffalo to Colorado. Okay, so Colorado defenseman. Um, I gotta presume he's still on the roster. If not, would it be so relevant as a hit? Anyways, maybe I'm overthinking it. Um, so, Colorado defenseman. Uh, Eric Johnson is a Colorado draft pick, and so that doesn't work. Um, hmm. Who else is on that blue line? Kale McCarr. Obviously, uh, he was drafted by the Avalanche. And, uh, I mean, I can't think who's on that blue line. I feel like I should know. Uh, Zadorov is a defenseman for the Avalanche. Um, I think didn't, uh, fuck. That's the only name that comes. Okay. I guess I, I have two guesses. Nikita Zadorov. Nikita Zadorov is correct. Oh, really? What? You got it. <laughs> he was in the Sabres? Okay. Nice. Yeah. I just I want to correct a little thing you said. Eric Johnson, yeah. actually not an Avalanche draft pick. He was the first overall pick of the St. Louis Blues in 2006. And oh, traded, okay. 
and traded for Shattenkirk and like other stuff a little like in 2011, I think. But you're correct. Right. Nikita Zadorov. Oh, yeah. that's I knew he I wasn't think. the 16th. Okay. Yeah. Spicy. All right. Ooh. 2019. Ooh. Looks like the Colorado Avalanche only had room for one Alex consonant, E consonant, consonant, O, O consonant, since they traded Kerfoot less than two weeks after making this draft pick. <laughs> what a hint. Oh my god. Alright. Alex, okay. Alex consonant, E consonant, consonant, what? Double O consonant? Correct. Let's go. Okay, this one's good because it was just last year. I know the name as soon as that one's like, I, I'm going to play. I have to play like Hangman now, right? Like, got to write that <laughs> down. Alex, consonant, E, consonant, consonant, O. Yeah, okay. It's Alex Newhook. Yay, correct. I was hoping you'd remember that one. I was like, there's no way, like, what hint could I possibly give that he'd remember <laughs> Alex Newhook? And so this was the best I could do. And it looks like it worked. Wow, just incredible! I don't know how'd you think of that, like, because <laughs> we talked about we talked about it at the time. I was like, I I noticed like because I kept mixing up those two players' names in my mind because they were both like on Colorado for like a week and a half or belonged to Colorado, I guess, for a week and a half, yeah. and then they got rid of Kerfoot. So, so that's how I, yeah. Didn't we discuss Absolute that at the time? Record. I think we might have. Um, it just. I didn't remember until now. Okay, anyways. Excellent excellent hint, I gotta say. Uh, right, highlight three for moment. four right okay. now. Three for four right now okay. on pretty good track. Ooh. 2015. Nice. This okay. 16th overall pick was the 2017-18 Calder Trophy winner. Oh my god. What? Okay. What? 2017-18 you said? Yeah, that's the year he won the Calder Trophy. Man, 16th overall... 2015. Oh, I think I know who it is actually. Because 2015 was the really bad Boston draft, right? Where they took Zboril Sedition and the Brusque one after the other. And then it was like Matthew Bars out. Or was it? Wait, like, wasn't like, okay, so Kyle Connor was there too. Thomas Shabbat. But I don't think they won. I have like a very distinct, I'm not very good with the awards, but I have a distinct memory of Barzal winning the Calder. Uh, so yeah, Matt Barzal. Correct. Oh yeah, let's go. Okay. Four for five. It's going pretty well for you. Wow. Uh so you've only got you've only got to get two of these next five and you've met the, the six for ten threshold I said. Maybe we should have gone with seven. But anyway, two thousand twelve. This sixteenth oh, overall man. pick was a key forward on the two thousand eighteen Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals. Oh wait, I don't get a team, right? Um like that drafted him. I just get yeah, he was a key forward on the 2018 Washington Capitals. Um, makes me think TJ Oshie, really. That's the first name. Anyways, TJ Oshie. Wrong. I think TJ Oshie was drafted okay. in like 2005 or something. Really? He's that old? Okay. All yeah, right. he's in his 30s um, for sure. Huh. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. I really should pull up the age here. Uh, 26. He's 26 years old. So it's not Kuznetsov, it's not Backstrom, it's not Ovechkin. Was it Lars Eller? Was he a first round pick? I feel like he was. Um, and that's why he traded from the Blues to the Habs. Okay, I'll go with Lars Eller. Incorrect. Uh, remember, Lars wow. Eller was part of the Halak trade from 2010. So, I'm not sure that really wow. tracks. Okay. 
Lars Eller was Lars Eller was a first round pick in 2007. The correct answer, 2012, 16th overall, Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Okay, all right. Yeah, I really went with the the, the whole trade route because I don't know why. Oh, because because the last time around, um, yeah, it didn't pay off this time. Okay, all right. We're still right. we're still good though. We're still good. Yeah, still good. Four for six. Uh, 2018. This 16th overall pick is a Czech winger who spent the last two years with the Colorado Eagles. I, it was very hard to come up with an interesting hint there, going, going to be honest. Like, I was like what, what notable things has this player done? Couldn't find much. So I put nationality, position, and where he's played with the last two years. Czech, eh? Yep. Um, Colorado Eagles, he's probably with the Colorado organization then. But like I can't think of any fucking Czech player. Like I think Martin like Nakash, but he's with the fucking Hurricanes and he played with the Hurricanes this season. Something. Yeah, I I can't think of any Czech players uh, with Colorado. He's not even yeah. If he's playing with the Eagles, he hasn't played for them. Um. Yeah. No. No. I have nobody. Nobody. Right, I'll give you a small hint. He actually did play nine games with the Avalanche this season, so oh, that helps. Okay. Frankly, it doesn't because I didn't really follow the Avalanche. Until okay. No, we're we're good. We're good. I will take a pass on this one. All right. The answer is Martin Kaut or Cot, however you like to pronounce it. Okay. All right. That's a name I've heard before. Uh, was never gonna get that, but uh, okay. All Colorado right. Eagles player. Noted. Uh huh. And so now you are um four for seven, so you've got oh, to boy. go two for three with these last three to meet the six six point threshold. Mm-hmm. Kind now of falling we off to, down the stretch. We go to 2014. This 16th okay. overall pick was traded for Devin Shore this past trade deadline day. What? Devin Shore? So 2014, right? Is that or 2016? Wait, 2014. 2014. Do you remember the Devin Shore okay. trade from this year? If you do, then you'll remember this player. It was a one for one. Devin, I didn't even know he was traded. What the heck? Um Devin Shore, um, you know, ooh, Devin Shore, Blue Jackets, um, yeah, right. Is he was he on the Blue Jackets or is he now on the Blue Jackets? Um, let me think. Would the Blue Jackets acquire Devin Shore or would they trade away Devin Shore? Is what I'm trying to think, and. Now that I think about it, Devin Shore, I don't think he was a Blue Jacket up until this season. So I think, okay, so he was formerly a Columbus Blue Jacket, uh, and I don't remember his name. Well, that's, okay, probably an NHL player. Um, who do they trade? I don't fucking know, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I might have to, like, take a pass on this one, too, because, like, I just have no recollection of this trade. Um, I just have like a really good feeling he's on. He used to be on the Blue Jackets, and now he's not. Um, actually, Devin Shore, where was he before? Yeah, no, I got nothing here. I got not- Devin Shore. Wasn't he on the Ducks? But like, anyways, that doesn't really because I don't remember the trade. So, anyways, okay, all right. Oh, well, you're taking this answer. this third L in a row. Yeah, I'm taking this third L in a row. All right, the player is Sonny Milano. Oh man, I no idea he was traded. Just nothing. Yep. That name. He's on the Ducks now. 
okay, so he, he was on the Ducks, right? Devin Shore. Okay, yes, so correct, on the, correct. The right train of thought is just Sonny Milano was never going to come to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you asked me what team Sonny Milano was on right now, prior to this quiz, I would have said the Blue Jackets. So, All anyways. Right. All right. Okay. I need to go perfect in the last two. This is yeah. a remarkable Two questions left. Got to get them both, and I think you can do it. All right. 2011. This 16th Ooh, overall okay. pick is currently on the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, hello. Okay. All right. Um, so that's, that's fun. Um, 2011 first of, okay. Um, so how old would they be? 29 years old. Gee, do I have to go through the roster now? Like 29, uh, uh, 29. Am I, is my math wrong? 18. Oh, never mind. He's 27. Uh, I guess I kind of helped you. Oops. Whatever. My bad. Anyways, it's all good. Um, defenseman. Maybe Jeff Petrie. I don't. I don't think he was a first round pick though. Anyways, uh, it's not. It's not any of the goalies. Um, you know Kulak. No. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's one of the defensemen. Looking at the forwards, so we have Dano. It's not any of Kakaniemi or Suzuki, obviously. Dano. No Gallagher has pick fifth round. Uh, Tatar. Ooh. Thomas Tatar, he seems the right move. Thomas Tatar, that's my first guess. Incorrect. Okay, all right. Um, so 16th overall pick, 2011. Looking down, uh, yeah, it's probably a winger at this point. Then thought Lekkinen. Um, ooh, no, not Drummond. Yoel Armina, that's a nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a first round pick. Um, I think with. Anyways, with this prior team, uh, wasn't maybe with the Jets? No, they weren't twenty. Anyways, maybe a threat. No, I forgot what team. I think it might be Yoel or Mia though. He gives first round vibes. So that's my second pick for uh, all the marbles. Correct. Yoel or Mia was a sixteenth overall pick by the Buffalo Sabers. One pick before right. Montreal took Nathan Beaulieu. Fun fact. And he's actually the only mm. player on this list who's played, or I guess I uh, don't know if he played with Buffalo, but uh, belonged to. More than two teams, Buffalo, Winnipeg, and then Montreal. So it all comes down. It's coming down to the wire. Final question here. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. 2016. This 16th overall pick made the Arizona Coyotes as an 18-year-old. Oh, okay. So I'm pretty sure I should know this because I spent a good chunk of time memorizing the first round of the 2016 uh, first round, and I, I know I'm, I'm like very confident and my answer uh, in this one because the first name that comes to mind is noted Coyote, uh, Jacob Chitkin. Correct. You've done it. Six on ten. All right. Woo! Yeah. Um, okay. Big dub. Uh, we had some uh, scary moments there near the middle. Uh, three straight L's. Wasn't a pretty sight, but here we are. Uh, we recovered clutch dub for jacob chicken did you like that one that was good it was a good quiz i loved it yay all right uh like i did a little because so now it also kind of helps us get a sense for the quality of players that's oftentimes available at 16th overall and there are a lot of good names on that list exactly i was about to mention that like this is this is a good learning tool too for what the house can you know possibly expect uh Mm -hmm. as to exactly the caliber of player so uh yeah excellent quiz 
uh, pretty educational, I gotta say. Uh, you know, maybe, yeah. So hopefully in a couple of years, we'll have uh, two 16th overall picks on our team uh, on the on the active roster. Unless Yolamia is traded by then, but or it leaves or walks as UFA at the end of next season. But you never know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I think that wraps it up uh, for this week. Unless you have anything else to add. Nope, that is the end of this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We will be back next week when it will be September at that point. And yeah, so you can follow us on Twitter, handles in the description. You can follow us on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a kind review if you like. And take care, everybody. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.